This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra-stylish, premium-quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin 1 expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin 1 is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTAKE30. That's RNRTAKE30 at TaskinSF.com. Next up on an all-new Rick and Rick. Is that a chatbot taking your order at Wendy's? Wasn't it always? <laughs> is that ChatGPT behind Coke's new Real Magic TV spot? And is Britney Spears really back on Instagram? Or is that a bot too? We've got the answers to all this and more, plus some loaded questions of our own. And it all starts right here, right now. On the one show that's always powered by Rick GPT, as in garlic, pepperoni, and tomato pizza. And everybody rules the world. We'll strap on the bib and let the brain-feeding frenzy begin, because you're just in time for a brilliant new episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World. I'm Rick Matheson, and I am joined, as always, by the bot known as IBM Wooten, or I mean, the real-life Rick Wooten. <laughs> hey, doing, Rick? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm doing great, because, as always, we're sharing the Rick's unique blend of news and views from the worlds of marketing, media, tech, and pop culture. This time out, we've got lots of movies and TV shows I want to catch up with, and then a whole segment on the topic du jour, which of course, is generative AI and a lot more. So let's do this. As always, let's start with Radar Love, Rick. And my wife got me on a show called The Night Agent. Have you ever seen this? I actually did. That was actually a fantastic series. I think they even signed up for a second season, right? I hope so, because these were good characters. And I don't know how they'll carry it into the second season, but the lead actor was very compelling. Yeah, Gabriel Basso, I think is his name. Basso? Yeah, he's quite good. good. And then the woman that he was protecting. There's great chemistry with them, and they made a good team in it. Yeah. It's a good, solid show. It's not really sci-fi. It's more action and spy stuff. So if you haven't seen it yet, check out The Night Agent on Netflix. You know, I realized I had never finished The Walking Dead, and so I dropped everything else that I was watching and I went back to, I forget what it was, the ninth season, and I've been working my way through the last couple of seasons just so I can say that I that I watched the whole thing. And so you have seen, what, how many seasons? Ten seasons or eleven? Oh, no. No, I, I think uh, I think I'm up to the last season right now. Uh, I can't remember if that's ten or eleven. All right. Now I saw something the other day. What is the Walking Dead Dead City? You know, I think this is one of their kind of side projects. They're spinning it off. I don't know if it's even still running, but there was a spinoff called Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah. And then I think that what you're talking about is yet another one. Now is Fear the Walking Dead over? I'm not sure. I really never got quite into it. I think I watched maybe the first two seasons, perhaps the third. It was fun, and if I wasn't so invested in the original storyline. I probably would have enjoyed it more, but I was just too invested in the original Walking Dead. Yeah. I don't know if you'll remember this, but I tried to get into Walking Dead and it seemed like every freaking time I went to sit down to watch the show, it was the same episode every time, literally. And it drove me crazy. So I gave up. I liked what I did see of the show. It just didn't hold me like it obviously has held everybody just wrapped for a decade now. Yeah. I think it kind of outlived itself. I think probably up through season seven or season eight, where Negan kind of came in and took over. While I, I love the character, I felt like the show kind of went in a different way and it lost a lot of people at that point. I think they could have ended it then and they could have probably done a spinoff and done something different with Negan. Again, one of my favorite characters, but it did definitely take the show in a different direction. And I think I'm watching season 11 right now and I'm about halfway through. And it's interesting because uh, you know the whole thing's based on comic books, right? Yeah. And they've deviated some, right? But you know, that's not a bad thing. To a certain extent, you kind of got to take the story in a direction that 
that is current. And yeah. anyways, I think one of the things I thought was super interesting about season 11 is it almost is like every episode or every two or three episodes is its own story. And it's almost like it could have been its own season. And so it makes me wonder if they had all these storylines that they wanted to tease out and maybe keep going and keep going. And instead, they've kind of shrunk them down into one, two or three episodes and put it in that 11th season. And so I'm really enjoying it. And I'm glad I'm finishing it up. Yeah. As a fellow Rick, I'm sure it's the same with you as it is for me. If I am meeting somebody for the first time, they are going to say, ah, the Rick Tater. 100%. Awesome. Now, you sent something over that I had to crack up because it's so true, but it was a, an article about why we need subtitles in our movies and TV shows. Yeah, I thought this was awesome. I don't know how your kids are. My kids get irritated with me because they'll come in and I'm, I'm watching a show and I've got the subtitles on and they're like, you know, Dad, why do you do that? You know, it just it drives me nuts. It distracts me. But it's not because I can't necessarily hear the show, but usually I'm multitasking. And so, like, you know, I want to be able to look up really quick and read the dialogue and make sure I heard what I heard or if I had the volume down because people are asleep or whatever the deal is. I just find it easier. Well, I'm not alone. Six out of 10, seven out of 10 of my friends, we all watch TV with the subtitles on. Well, there's this article I sent you. It came from IndieWire and it was talking about the reasons why people do this. And the net result of it is that a lot of shows don't have great balance between the dialogue and the background noises. And particularly as we get a little bit older, not when we lose our hearing, but even as, you know, our hearing starts to degrade a little bit, we start losing the ability to hear the difference between the two. And so it just makes it easier. And I personally, I find this to be the case. And so they're talking about how there's AI functions being built into things now that will boost it for you and then turn down some of the loud scenes and stuff like that and do it dynamically as opposed to you having to try and tweak your system and make it work. How about you? Do you do this? No, I do not. It bugs me when people do it, (laughs) but I can see the appeal. If it's on the large television for everybody to watch. I do have a little bit of trouble differentiating the dialogue from background noises, especially, and they mentioned it in this article, anything Christopher Nolan created because his sound mixing is irritating to the max. But I will typically put on Bluetooth earbuds or a headset. But if I didn't, I would probably be using the subtitles as well. Yeah. So I can't wait till we have the AR glasses where we can see subtitles in crowded restaurants when we're trying to have a conversation. Oh, 100%. It's funny you mentioned Christopher Nolan because the example they used in the article was Tenet. Apparently, Tenet is like one of the worst movies as far as, you know, that differentiation between dialogue and background noise, and that people constantly complain about that one particular movie. So, it's a thing. I never noticed any problems with Tenet, but Interstellar from Christopher Nolan, in these movies, they tend to purposefully mix in the sound so that you can't hear the characters. It's a little bit of a cheat. Usually, the character's explaining something in depth, and then he'll bring up sound from somewhere else, and it just creates this cacophony that pulls me out of the movie, but it is a tactic that he uses from time to time. Well, for folks like me that do use this quite a bit, I guess some of the new LG TVs have a feature built in and Amazon Prime is releasing one as well called Dialogue Boost or something like that. So it will help differentiate between the two. Just boost it up enough so that it sounds a little bit easier to comprehend. So we'll see. Yes, very smart. We shall see. But what else will be smart and easy to comprehend is the good, the bad, and the marketing, which is coming up after this short break. Hey, Rick and Rick Nation, don't forget to check out our website at rickandrick.com. It's double the Rick in just one click. 
at rickandrick.com. And welcome back to Rick and Rick Rule the World, Rick Matheson and Rick Wooten. And it's time for the good, the bad, and the marketing. And this is kind of a generative AI edition, starting with this whole thing around, you know, is that an AI chatbot taking your drive-through order at Wendy's? And like I was joking at the beginning, Rick, weren't they always in Columbus, Ohio? The answer to that question will soon be yes. So according to Mashable, Wendy's will use Google's natural language processing software to train a chatbot to take customers' drive-through orders. I feel like I've already experienced this at Taco Bell or someplace. Have you? Yeah. You know, I don't think I have. I mean, I could have, but I don't think I have. I I, I have seen companies doing really weird things. I, f- I forget which fast food restaurant it was, but one of them was actually using Overshore's people yeah, to take I know you. I Remember that one? Yes. I think we talked about that on the show, too. Yeah. And I thought that was... Well, this is kind of the next level. You know, a couple companies ago, I worked for an AI chatbot company, and they were the company that powers Delta Airlines and American Express and Dish Network and blah, blah, blah. And their stuff was good. You would think that you were talking to a real person, and it was very much natural language, but those were like super expensive systems. It's not surprising that somebody like Wendy's is going to give it a try because it could solve for a problem. But at the end of the day, Rick, I'm telling you, they got two other problems they need to solve for. Just two. Number one, the microphone and the speaker are crap. Yes. Fix that first. Because yes. if I could just understand the guy in the store, my experience would be so much better, right? Yeah. And then, no, totally. Right? And then number two, every time I go, the frosting machine's broken. Fix yes. the damn frosting machine first. Yeah. For me, it's that speaker. And then when I read about this, I had flashes of what it'll be like to order food from Alexa. Yeah. You would like to order a sheep herder that lies? Damn it, Alexa, no. I said I want a cheeseburger and fries. <laughs> This is a test that they are going to be the Wendy's-owned locations in Columbus, Ohio. But when AI has been trained to interact with customers in the past, the results have not always been ideal. You'll probably remember a couple years ago, it took less than 24 hours for Twitter users to corrupt an AI chatbot, I think it was called Tay, to start spouting racist comments and stuff. And I read in MIT Technology Review that ChatGPT has had similar issues as well. It's going to be a challenge. I could see where all of a sudden, the drive-through customers aren't going to be the only people cussing. <laughs> well, you know, I think they're going to put a walled garden around what it can and, and can't say and what it does and doesn't do. I kind of hope I'm wrong because that would make for a great story. Yeah, I'm thinking Rick and Rick need to go on a road trip to Columbus, Ohio and corrupt the system for them. <laughs> That's awesome. We'll just play some Rick and Rick episodes. That's right. For folks that maybe aren't as familiar with this, generative AI is a type of artificial intelligence that's capable of learning from vast amounts of data. It can be text, images, video, to generate content like text or images or video in response to prompts and to answer queries in a way that really mimics human conversation. And it really is very impressive. And it's actually been around for quite a while, but OpenAI, which you probably heard about in the news a lot lately, when it launched ChatGPT for the public, I guess November, late last year, it got 100 million users in just two months. It is the fastest adopted business technology in history. You know, I to me, I was uh, I was talking with somebody this last week, and to me, what I was explaining to them is that this is what I felt way back in the late 90s when the web first emerged, where everything was changing rapidly. One week we're using Mosaic, the next week we're using Netscape, then there's something else. And there, it was like the evolution of the web was 
at such a breakneck speed at that time. And I feel like this is the new thing. This is the thing that's going to radically change everything that we do. If the, the fact that people are doing you know chatbots that take orders at a fast food restaurant, we'll talk about Coca-Cola doing advertising. We'll talk about the other companies that are, are trying it out for customer surveys and things like there are just so many ways that this thing is being used and going to be used that it's just mind boggling. So um, I think this is going to be a pretty fun experience. It is going to be amazing and it already is. And I should mention ChatGPT is a text generation app, but there are others. OpenAI has DALI, which is an image one where it creates mind blowing imagery from text. You describe what you want and it appears. In fact, the thumbnail for this episode was generated by DALI and it shows a robot creative director. That's awesome. But there are other companies, MidJourney and whatnot. But I will say you made my last remaining brain cell hurt when you mentioned the words mosaic and Netscape, words that I had not heard in so long. Wow. Well, you know, one of the things that that gets talked about a lot right now with generative AI and and things like that in general is the lack of originality and that it's really just taking existing works and then manipulating it and making something different. And one of the reasons I keep flashing back to the late 90s and early 2000s with the web is because that is exactly what the web was. You wanted to go learn how to do something new. You would go find somebody else on the web, look at their source code, and then go reinvent it in your own way. And that's literally what all these you know, chat GPT tools, these generative AI tools are doing in real time right now. Yeah. I mean, we talked about some very cool applications on our 2023 predictions episode. I don't know that original content creation is going to necessarily be one of them. There are a number of lawsuits in play right now that will determine this. And one of the issues is these generative AI engines, they're trained on content that's scanned from the internet. And that includes copyrighted materials. It could be text, it could be images, it could be photos, it could be art and so for it. Sam Altman, who's the CEO of OpenAI, was speaking before Congress and he got a lot of credit, I think, for saying, you know, hey, we need some regulations around this technology. Right. Some of his comments rubbed me the wrong way. One of the things that he said was, hey, there needs to be a way for content owners to be able to opt out if their content has been scanned and it's being used and things that might be monetized, they need to be able to opt out. Well, the problem with that is, no, it shouldn't be opt out. There's practically no way for someone to find out if their content is being used in the training data set for these things, the regulations such that might be created should actually require companies to ask content owners for their permission. And those content owners should be able to say, I would like you to be able to use this content for the training set for these purposes for this amount of time. And when that deadline comes, it is wiped from output or anything else. You know, you know, here, here's the, you know, okay, so if you put aside that it's AI and you put aside the creepiness and all that other stuff and you look at it as if this was a human being, would you be saying the same thing? You human being, you are not allowed to read this book. You are not allowed to read this play. You're not allowed to read this script to develop your own works. You cannot do that. I'm not sure that would make sense, right? Part of what I think you're getting at is that, yes, there are no new ideas under the sun. Everything we create is informed by the things we've read, watched, heard, or experienced. Right. But you said, putting aside that we're talking about AI, the problem is that we are talking about AI, not humans. And here's what I mean. There are two facets to this, right? There's inputs and outputs. And on the input side, copyright protection does in fact tell individuals and organizations that they are free to consume this content, but what they cannot do is reproduce, transmit, 
modify, or otherwise use or exploit the content for any reason without written permission from the copyright owner. So from an inputs perspective, there's a question of, well, hey, what right do AI companies have to scan and thus exploit copyrighted material to be monetized by including it in their training sets? And in fact, I believe the EU is creating legislation that will establish that content cannot be used in data sets without the explicit approval of the content owner. And if you think about it, opt out is just acknowledging that you're using content that belongs to somebody else and you didn't ask their permission. So I think a requirement to make sure you have the explicit permission of copyright owners to use their content in data sets, it seems like an obvious baseline. The second part of this is whether you're talking about a computer or a human being, the output drawn from other content must not be derivative of that content. It has to be turned into new original content that is in itself copyrightable. I believe the legal term for that is sufficiently transformative, and plagiarism has been a issue with generative AI. Then there's a third aspect here that is also worth noting. Content generated by AI or other computer technology is, generally speaking anyway, not copyrightable. To make it copyrightable, it has to meet that threshold of being sufficiently transformative, and you have to demonstrate that you made a significant contribution to the final piece of content. And that by itself could limit the value of a lot of content created by generative AI. So yes, it's going to be interesting. And we'll be right back. This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra stylish, premium quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin One expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin One is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTAKE30. That's RNRTAKE30 at TaskinSF.com. And welcome back to Rick and Rick Rule the World. Rick Mapp and Rick Wooten, and we're continuing our conversation about content generation, the good, the bad, and the chat GPT. Now, what is a very cool use of generative AI is our next story, this Coca-Cola commercial. So Ryan Solis at ServiceNow had posted a piece about a commercial from Coca-Cola that combines film footage and 3D and stable diffusion, which is a deep learning text-to-image AI model, to create, I mean, pure magic. This is a great spot, and I think this is a great example of AI as a tool for creatives. Oh, it's amazing. The AI didn't create this whole thing. It was a tool used in creating it. Absolutely. Although one could argue that they're using famous pieces of art and just manipulating them. And Yeah. yeah. But no, I mean, I, I thought this was a, as, is killer. And so, you know, the concept of the commercial is that there's a, a bottle of Coca-Cola that gets passed from a statue to painting to painting to statue and back and forth through all these different amazing works. And, you know, they've got Van Gogh in there and Turner and you know, anyways, they've got just, you know, amazing artwork in there, just kind of playing off. And eventually, of course, it comes out and the main focus of the commercial actually ends up with the Coke in the end. And it's such a creative, cool piece of work. And even if it wasn't a commercial, I'd want to see it just because it's so well done. And yeah, I think we're going to see more of this. I mean, although I do have to say, I felt more like this was inspired by generative AI than necessarily, to your point, developed by generative exactly. AI. 
That's a great way to put it. Yeah. It's, and so I thought they just did a great way of being relevant and getting in there and, and just kind of hacking it. And, and it worked really well. I think to the point you made earlier, I think the thing that, that we're going to have to figure out is how to change things and how to basically find ways for people to still be involved in the industries and leverage the AI. Because right now, I think there's a ton of fear of people being replaced by the AI. And some of that's going to happen. It's very complicated to write the prompts. There could be a whole industry of people writing prompts and then taking the content and making it more human. Oh, it absolutely will be the case that people will gain new skills and a lot of it will be about the ability to write effective prompts for this technology. You know, it all depends on how fast it moves. I don't remember who said it and I'm not sure this is an exact quote, but we tend to overestimate the value and impact of new technologies in the near term and underappreciate the long-term impact of these technologies. And if this moves too quickly, like who needs the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates to bring down inflation through mass layoffs when you've got chat GPT. If it moves too quick, there's going to be a problem. If it moves at a measured pace with guardrails, it will, just like every other automation technology, has just created new types of jobs and new skills that people learn. It just depends on the pace of it and yeah. what kind of guardrails are put around it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and this is the part where maybe you and I end up diverging because I feel like if we start putting guardrails on something, we start stifling the innovation. And I don't want to do that because I, I think it could take us somewhere really interesting. And, you know, if you'd put all those guardrails in place when the internet started, and we know very well that it didn't exist because there were a ton of things that have happened over the last 15 years to try and get some guardrails on it, we wouldn't be where we are. That technology would have grown so slow. So I think there's probably some safety we need to put around it, but I hope we don't neuter it. I hope we let it keep running. I was going to joke if we'd put those types of guardrails early on. I was going to say, we might be in a better place with the internet than we are now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, that is all happening now. I mean, we've seen the regulations come pouring through. There is the boon of sort of the digital realm and the bane. We couldn't have predicted where things would go right and where things would go wrong. That's and, right. Yeah, There needs to be some running room for this stuff. In some ways, I think that a lot of these things are going to be resolved through existing legal frameworks yeah. before we ever get to anything that is a regulation-specific to generative AI, but we'll have to see. Yeah, I agree. Very quickly, you said this thing about speculation. Now that Britney Spears has reemerged on Instagram, that's not really Britney Spears, but it's a bot. Yeah, there's this whole undertone of a conspiracy theory that Britney Spears has either disappeared or dead, being very <laughs> dramatic here, and that all these appearances that we see of her are not really her. You know, what we see on Instagram, what we see on social media is actually generated by AI. You know, some people say it's just bad filters and, you know, other people say, no, no, look at the edges or makeup changes and all this. But, you know, Brittany hasn't really come out to say no or yes or anything else, which honestly is probably an amazing PR move because a bunch of people are talking about her. She's having a moment and it's all because people think there's an AI out there, not her. You know, if it gets too bad, we're going to have the video of the crying guy screaming, leave Brittany bot alone. <laughs> That's right. All right, that is going to have to wrap up this episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World. Until next time, stay safe, keep each other safe, and keep on coming back to the one show where everybody's name is Rick. And everybody rules the world. 